I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey folks, Tom Merritt here. You know what's been in the news lately? LIDAR. So we thought we would re-release our About LIDAR episode. This was originally released November 26th, 2020. We haven't added anything to it since then. So let's begin About LIDAR. I heard cars need LiDAR, but then Tesla doesn't use it. And now LiDAR's in the iPhone. Is my iPhone going to drive my car? Are you confused? Don't be. Let's help you know a little more about LiDAR. As best we can tell, the term LiDAR originated as a simple combination of the words light and radar. It's been backronymed to mean light detection and ranging or laser imaging detection and ranging. But whatever you think it stands for, LIDAR is essentially a system for measuring distance and therefore depth based on bouncing laser light off your surroundings and measuring how long the round trip takes. That's why it was named after radar. Radar was bouncing radio waves. LIDAR is bouncing laser light. Now, The speed of light in a vacuum is fixed, and even inside the atmosphere or water, it's pretty consistent. So the longer light takes to bounce back, the farther away whatever it bounced off of is, and if you know the medium that it's traveling through, you can calculate the distance and the depth. LiDAR operations all use an emitter to send out the laser light and a sensor to detect it when it returns. Pretty simple, really. They differ in what kinds of lasers and sensors they use, how many, how they position them, but all LiDAR systems basically rest on these principles. Whether you're using one laser and changing its position rapidly to get multiple measurements, or just a bunch of lasers all at once with multiple sensors, you can use the data you collect from a LiDAR system to map your surroundings. It's metaphor time! Imagine you have a few big rocks in your backyard. And yes, those of you without a backyard, also imagine you have a backyard. If you're British, imagine you have a garden. Let's also imagine, because why not, that you have robot eyes that let you see how long it takes for light to reflect off things. Now, take your flashlight into the backyard and turn it off and on again really fast. Your robot eyes tell you how long it took between you turning on the flashlight and you seeing something in the reflected light. That's the time it took for the light to bounce off the thing in your yard. Turn your flashlight on and off a bunch of times, and you can map where the boulders are. Now, you may rightly ask why you just didn't leave the flashlight on and look, to which, I remind you, you replaced your eyes with special robot eyes. But despite this confusing, if hilarious, metaphor, I hope you get the sense that LiDAR doesn't see. It just measures a bunch of points of light. 
George Bush would love it. When you map all those points, you get an approximation of solid objects around you. And if you're moving, you can use LIDAR to see what's around you. LIDAR is used in loads of sciences. You can think of the obvious uses it might have for geology, telling where the rocks are, forestry, telling where the trees are, geography, even archaeology. Uh, you, can, you can actually see where there might be depressions or, or things here and there. It's also used in atmospheric physics and seismology and a bunch of other things. And of course, most people hear about it with autonomous cars and more recently for augmented reality. But let's step back first to the very beginning. The concept of LIDAR derives from work by E. H. Singe in 1930, who imagined using searchlights to probe the atmosphere. Yeah, see, my garden flashlight robot eye metaphor doesn't seem quite as outlandish now. The first actual LIDAR system was introduced by the Hughes Aircraft Company in 1961 for satellite tracking. It was called Coherent Light Detecting and Ranging, or Co-LIDAR, a play on radar, of course, just like LIDAR. In 1962, MIT scientists measured the distance between the Earth and the Moon using a reflected laser beam. They just bounced it off the Moon. Depth sensed. Well, distance in this case. Back to Hughes. Its Collider Mark II was put into practical use in 1963 for military targeting. All right, but what about LIDAR? Not this co-LIDAR, not the Moon Bouncer. Well, the Oxford English Dictionary suggests the first use of just LIDAR happened in 1963 in an article in New Astronomy about lasers. Here's the quote. Eventually, the laser may provide an extremely sensitive detector of particular wavelengths from distant objects. Meanwhile, it is being used to study the moon by LIDAR, parentheses, light radar. In fact, LIDAR was used on the Apollo 15 mission to measure surface height and topography on the moon and was also used on subsequent Apollo missions. It also got its first widespread use and what it first became famous for by the National Center for Atmospheric Research to measure clouds and pollution. For decades, LIDAR was associated with this kind of atmospheric research. All right, but how does all this stuff work? The lasers in LIDAR systems can use various types of light from ultraviolet through the visible spectrum into the near-infrared. It can operate at wavelengths from 10 micrometers up to 250 nanometers, depending on the target objects. The longer the wavelength, the longer the range. Works on rocks, rain, chemical compounds, aerosols, clouds, even single molecules. It's good for atmosphere, you knew that. Light tends not to reflect straight back off most objects, unless you have a mirror. And most things aren't mirrors. Instead, it backscatters. And that's interesting because different types of scattering can be used for different applications to handle the calculations and measure certain types of depth and certain types of materials. But let's talk hardware. The lasers are often semiconductor diode lasers, similar to what you see in a laser printer or a CD player. Kids, ask your parents. Autonomous cars use near-infrared Underwater LIDAR, which does exist, uses green lasers, has shorter wavelengths, and there's LIDAR in the iPad. It uses VIXELs, or vertical cavity surface-emitting lasers. That's a fancy way of saying the laser light emits from the top instead of the edge of the wafer. VIXELs used to not be good for LIDAR. They were used in mice and optical networking and only recently could be made powerful enough to be used for LIDAR. That's cool because VIXELs are cheaper to make because the light comes from the top, not the edge, so you don't have to cut wafers. That means you can put a lot more VIXELs, thousands, on a silicon chip, which brings down the cost per unit. Okay, that's the hardware for sending the light. How about the detector? 
That's the thing that does all the work measuring, right? Those laser photons are just joyriding. There are two main kinds of detection schemes, coherent and incoherent. Coherent detection is more sensitive. It measures Doppler shifts or changes in phase of the reflected light. It's more complex, but it uses less power. Incoherent detection directly measures the amplitude change of the light, which is less sensitive, but simpler, but it also uses more power. Both types of detection use pulses of light. Older systems will use high-energy pulses, which, as the name implies, need a lot of power, and also require eye protection. These are often used in atmospheric research with things like clouds, wind, and humidity, because, you know, up there in the clouds, you're not likely to shine it in somebody's eyes by accident. Micropulse is newer, made possible by better computer power and improved laser technology, and it uses intermittent bursts of energy, usually less than a microjoule, so much less powerful, meaning it uses less power, and it can be eye-safe. You won't have to wear eye protection around it. Okay, what about the detector hardware itself? Detectors are often photoelectric cells made of silicon or gallium arsenide. Short-range systems use silicon photodiodes. Longer-range systems with longer wavelength lasers use avalanche photodiodes or APDs. APDs can detect lower light levels and be built into a chip to create a multi-pixel photon counter, or MPPC. In fact, the iPad uses single photon avalanche diodes, or SPADs, from Sony. Okay. So how do you make all this hardware work together? There are too many ways to operate LIDAR for us to cover them all here. But in general, they all send out millions of pulses per second. And most quickly move the light around on a gimbal or something in a pattern that can quickly cover the available area. The laser doesn't move, it's fixed, but mirrors based on microelectromechanical systems, or MEMS, do the moving, and they bounce the laser light in different directions. The gimbal-based versions are often found in advanced driver assistance systems and autonomous cars. If you've seen a spinning can-looking thing on top of a car, uh, that's an older LiDAR system. The cheaper, lower-power fixed versions that don't spin around are found in mobile devices, like in the iPad. Other simpler systems that don't need as long of a range use more lasers, but they're less powerful lasers, and they're all in a fixed position to try to cover the available area. That's what's in the iPad. You don't have a gimbal in there moving it around. It's just fixed, but it's got a lot of them. They're cheap to make, so it can just throw out a bunch of light and cover the available area. Either way, whether it's a gimbal or fixed, it results in a point cloud of detected returning light. LiDAR images look kind of like infrared images. They don't return natural colors, but they do show detailed depth information down to the centimeter. So what can't LiDAR do? Well, it can't read most road signs, though they can sometimes use reflective coating on those signs to figure what's on them. And it can't detect anything that's flat. It just sees the flat. As you might have guessed, based on its usefulness in atmospheric surveys, it doesn't see through fogs and clouds. It sees the fogs and clouds, but not what's behind them, at least not very well. LiDAR is really good at showing depth maps, but it shines, get it, when combined with other data. 2D visual systems can show you what the sign actually says, and then LiDAR can tell you where the sign is or how far away it is. In fact, you combine that all with GPS, you can actually tell where you are and turn the 3D images into a 3D map. Accelerometers can tell you how long it's going to be before you hit that thing the LiDAR sensor sees. And cheaper materials are making LiDAR more and more practical in more and more places. That means they may be used in more robots, more cars, and they're showing up in phones. 
I hope this helps you understand a little more about how those autonomous and augmented reality devices can see the world around them. In other words, I hope now you know a little more about LiDAR. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.